Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown, where I'm here every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, to break down what's going on in the NBA. I just broke down an awesome video this morning on my YouTube channel, B-Ball Breakdown, where we looked at the effects of LeBron's hand injury. And if you were under a rock or weren't paying attention after Game 4, after the sweep, uh, all of a sudden, LeBron James is wearing a soft cast on his hand and basically said he broke his hand after game one, slamming it into a whiteboard after he the the pressure of just missing winning that game, I guess, built upon him so much. And I got to say, I've lost a little bit of uh, respect for him for self-inflicting a wound like that that ended up uh, affecting his game. Now, I went through every frame and every second of games two, three, and four to look for instances where maybe the hand was an issue or the pain was a lot. And uh, it's a really interesting video with a lot of great information and observations. You should go check out over at the YouTube uh, channel, B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, but it was a really fascinating thing to do. Also, what I did, though, is when you watch multiple games in a row where you're just isolating on one player, it's a real uh, eye-opener just to you know what kind of player that person is. He's not blending in with the other five. You're just literally watching him pick a seat uh, or uh, you know not run or run hard or maybe do things you didn't even notice that were really good. And certainly with LeBron, it was a really interesting thing to just sort of isolate only on him since most people do that, but when he has the ball only. So uh, it's a great video. Go over there and check it out. We also did a really nice video as a draft uh, preparation for you on Marvin Bagley of Duke. And the plan is is to get one out on Doncic tomorrow. So you'll have a little bit of preparation on what's going to happen for Thursday's draft. Cannot wait for that to happen. So a huge show coming up for you this hour. Really great guests. I have Duncan Smith, who's going to come on. He's from the Athletic Detroit and B-Ball Breakdown. And we're going to talk about Dwayne Casey's hiring in Detroit and how uh, Dan Gundy was summarily fired from his role of both president and coach. Then Derek Bodner is going to come on from the Athletic Philadelphia. And we're going to talk about the the Brian Colangelo uh, burner account craziness. It's a great conversation. Do not miss that. And then we're going to have... Dave Dufour join us, and we're going to go over all things NBA as we normally do. So don't go anywhere, sports fans. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we are back, sports fans. As always, it's Coach Nick here on every Tuesday. We are here with you, and we are going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Detroit. And I could think of nobody better to bring on the show to discuss this than Duncan Smith of The Athletic Detroit and uh, some place called B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, dot com. 
And uh, Duncan, thank you for joining us and talking about what's happening in Detroit and what we should expect. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, it's it's interesting times here in Detroit right now, for sure. Yes, we uh, may, perhaps we will stop using the "send him to Detroit" meme uh, from Kentucky Fried Movie and uh, and have it be a good thing. So <laughs> let's just break into it real quick about you know Stan Van Gundy and how he uh, was fired because what was interesting to me was that you know he originally got hired as the basically the president and the coach, meaning that he wasn't going to get fired and he took that out of the equation. But what happened that that led to this event? Um, you know, it's it's funny. It, honestly, I think if uh, if Reggie Jackson doesn't get hurt in uh, December last year, I don't think we're here talking about this. Really? <laughs> um, you know, there there were a lot of things that just didn't qu- quite go right, and some of them were were basically Van Gundy moves, just asking for trouble. Um, you know, I, I think Reggie Jackson gets kind of a kind of a bum rap, you know, on Twitter and in in the basketball sphere in general. Um, a lot of that, I think, comes from some perceptions of his behavior in Oklahoma City, which uh, I, I think has kind of been de- debunked to some degree over time. Um, his locker room conduct in Detroit, to the best of my knowledge, from what I've heard from you know people in there, uh, has been nothing short of like exemplary. Um, but at the same time, like when Stan Van Gundy brought him in, it's not as though um, you know his health concerns weren't already known. So while I think a lot of what went wrong ultimately falls on Reggie Jackson's knee and ultimately his ankle. Um, a, a lot of a lot of uh, importance was put on um, something of a, a rickety, uh, not necessarily uh, top-notch health uh, point guard. Um, you know, so things didn't go as well as they could have. But a lot of things that didn't go well, you kind of could have seen coming, and. Um, you know, if, if things didn't break the way they did, so to speak, uh, I don't necessarily think that we we would be in this situation right now uh, with Van Gundy being fired and uh, being replaced and so forth. Fair enough. So uh, remind us all uh, who ended up taking most of those minutes after Reggie went down. Uh, it was Ish Smith, and I think that's another uh, another misstep of the uh, um, the Pistons front office. Um, that when you have Ish Smith on the floor, you need to have a lot of shooters. And um, the Pistons didn't really surround your Smith with uh, the personnel that um, that you would hope for. You know, uh, I, I think Ish Smith is a, a really good backup point guard, um, but he was not necessarily put in a position to succeed uh, because he's just he's not a, a fair match for uh, for a lot of starting point guards around the NBA. Fair enough. So obviously they were they had playoffs on their mind. Uh, Reggie goes down. They uh, the, the season kind of goes down in flames. They don't they don't have a terrible record, but they don't quite get into the playoffs. So uh, I guess this was just sort of a the pre, the, the owner of the of the Pistons must have sort of stepped in and be like, well, I'm now going. I I can't just get rid of you as a coach and keep you as a president, right? That that would be sort of strange. Um. Well, it's it's kind of a strange situation. I'd like to know more about like what actually happened behind closed doors, uh, because like meetings between Van Gundy and Goris. First off, it took a while to actually get started. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a couple weeks after the season um, before they actually started meeting and discussing plans going forward. Um, there were a couple of like postponed meetings, um, so it really seemed as though like they were they were going to like talk about things, but like nothing really was going to change because it just took so much time to get things rolling in the first place. Um, as it turned out, Van Gundy was willing to step away from the, the, uh, the front office duties and just focus on coaching. Um, in my opinion, 
if if I was if I was running things uh, with the Pistons, that would have been enough for me. I think Van Gundy is a very good coach. I think that the problem was he just, you know, as with all of these guys who are like trying to coach and run front offices at the same time, it's just too much job for one man. Um, if you look at Doc Rivers in Los Angeles, um, he went from being something of a, a punchline almost um, to being regarded once again as a just a very very good head coach. He maybe deserved like uh, coach of the year buzz um, for what he did with the Clippers. And I think a lot of that is, uh, is thanks to being able to just focus on the one thing that he, he does well, you know, and, and Van Gundy was willing to do that and didn't get the opportunity. And I kind of wish that we could see like one season of what that would be like. Absolutely. That's a really good point. And I, like we talk about in the LeBron context too, where he kind of tries to be a player coach. And for the same reason, I just don't think it's possible in today's game. So, uh, so, okay. So he, he wore out his welcome. They never quite could put together a team good enough that could compete in the man country system. So they're moving on. And, um, I guess it, it does feel like fairly quickly from when they decided not to, uh, renew or not to bring back, uh, Stan Van Gundy, they, they bring in Dwayne Casey. Uh, what went into that decision? Um, they interviewed a whole host of guys, uh, everything from uh, Kenny Smith and Jason Kidd uh, to uh, John Beeline, Michigan's head coach. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, that, that's the one that really intrigued me. Um, I'm also a Michigan fan, so I was torn. I, I was like, do we really want to see – do we want to see one coach, um, you know, move from a very successful situation to, uh, you know, the Pistons roster is, uh, it's an odd one to say the least. And that situation might not have been, um, beneficial for Beeline. And he ultimately ended up pulling his own name out of consideration. Um, so I, I think the Pistons probably got the best guy for the job, like just, you know, trying to roll out a, a decent team this year and, um, you know, m- maybe making like a, a, playoff push trying to get like a six through eight seed perhaps um, which i think you know for better or worse is probably good enough for the pistons brass right now um you know it, it's kind of damning that that is the goal but i think it is and i think that Dwayne casey is probably a guy who more often than not um can get a roster like this assuming you know no uh, no disastrous injuries again uh, befall them um He's probably the guy that more often than not would be most likely uh able to do that Okay, I'm I'm fascinated because a when they got rid of him in Toronto, they just they brought in his, his assistant, which is interesting. <laughs> um, and I don't know how often that is when you actually outright fire the guy and then just kind of keep everything else the same. Which that seems to speak to something. I haven't quite wrapped my head around what I think it means, but there's something there. So either way, uh, I, I I probably would agree with you. I think that he's got enough ability as a coach to come in and get them into the playoffs. Uh, I think that his issue has always sort of been, you know, beyond that is where he kind of ends up falling short. So I suppose what the, the that that is not in the cards necessarily um, in the front office and in the ownership as far as like winning a title might not be in their near near future goals. Yeah, I think that they're realistic in that a title is probably not in in the uh, the near future by any means. Um, but I don't really know that what they're trying to do in the meantime is, is the right move. Um, you know, like I, I think that for example, the Blake Griffin trade, um, I'd say that it probably pushed their rebuilding period, like two or three, maybe four years down the road. Um, whereas like if they had not made the Blake Griffin trade and like maintained what little flexibility they had, you know, kept the draft pick, uh, got a kid, (laughs) um, you know, maybe 
maybe if you have to trade Tobias Harris, um, you can you can do it for something that is not going to be a, a gargantuan weight on your your cap for for five years. Um, it just seems as though like all they really did is uh, maintained just like the most base level of competitiveness for the time being, and delayed the inevitable rebuild that I think is you know this this team just has so much salary on it it's it's just it's laden down with uh with some fairly dead money in some spots um and talent wise it just doesn't really have enough <laughs> enough punch to be able to be really competitive with uh, with some of the best teams and even the eastern conference let alone uh you know the juggernauts in the west if they were to make a, a deep run in the playoffs it's just not a team that's constructed for any of that and um you know i i think that what maybe what they should have done instead of trying to you know, make a lower tier playoff team work this year is like take your lumps early and get get the pain over with if, if you can. But all great points, and certainly the Andre Drummond thing, I think, is what you were talking about as far as just you know they 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 got on that train. I think that train isn't going to get them where they want them to go. But we'll have to wait and see. But Duncan, thank you so much for coming on the show today and breaking it down. I really appreciate it, and we'll have to have you on again as we find out what more happens to the Pistons going in the future. And Don't go anywhere, sports fans. We'll be right back with another great couple segments on the NBA. And this is the B-Ball Breakdown. If you're anything like me, then you're all too familiar with crushing credit card debt at outrageous interest rates. I try to just put it out of my mind and make whatever payments I can and ignore the fact that I might never finish paying it off. But that can all change now. Lightstream allows you to lower that interest rate and consolidate your debt so you can finally get a handle on your finances. If you have good credit, you can get a credit card consolidation loan anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000 at a 5.89% APR with AutoPay. Better yet, if you go to lightstream.com slash breakdown, you'll get an additional interest rate discount, all with no fees. The only way to get this discount is to visit L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash breakdown. So lift the burden of debt off your shoulders, get some breathing room, and visit Lightstream today. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we're back, sports fans. It's Coach Nick here. This is the B-Ball Breakdown, as you probably just heard from that awesome uh, voice of the guy who announces these shows. So thank you very much for that. And uh, we now have our next segment coming up, which will be a really good in-depth dive into a few of the guys who are going to get picked in the NBA draft coming up on Thursday. And I know a lot of you guys probably are into the NBA and may not be following what's going on in college so much. I, I guess I'm talking about myself. Uh, so I want to bring on uh, one of our resident experts to discuss who is the top pick or the most likely top pick and what his uh, game is like and some other people, too. So let's bring on Dave Dufour, my partner in crime over the podcast, to discuss what's happening with the draft at the top. So, Dave, thank you for joining us from a remote location. That's right. I'm in beautiful, rainy, cold, big sky, Montana. Oh, no, it's rainy and cold in June? Oh, it's great, though. It's nice because, uh, you know, like the rest of the country is dealing with record-breaking heat right now, and I'm wearing a rain jacket and kind of bundled up. It's, it's awesome. Nice, nice. I, I, we certainly in, in L.A. are not experiencing record-breaking heat either, so I'm on the same wavelength with you there. Um, 
Well, let's dive into this because the draft is coming up. It's, it happened so quickly that I wasn't even ready to get all my other videos done. But, hey, uh, let's talk with the top of the draft. Who do we think is going to get picked first? Well, all of my sources and everyone else's sources and signs all point to DeAndre Ayton from the University of Arizona being the first pick for the Phoenix Suns. Um, there's a lot of connections there. Uh, the owner of the Suns, Robert Sarver, is a U of A alum. Uh, Aiton is actually, he lives in the Phoenix area, went to high school there. Uh, there, there are plenty of off-court reasons to take Aiton number one for, for the Suns. But on the court, it makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, he's going to be, from the jump, he's going to be very good offensively. I can even see him doing something crazy like averaging 18 to 20 and 10 as a rookie. He, he's that good offensively. Um, so, yeah, it, everything looks like it's going to be Aiton. Huh. Well, okay. Sounds sounds fair to me. I do know that the uh, the new coach of the Suns uh, did coach Luka Doncic in Europe. Or that you think that that's not even a thing? No. Well, so think about this. Uh, Igor Kokoshkov is his name, and you know European coaches with all of his national team experience got a lot of experience working with European bigs. So he's going to be uh-huh. able to maximize the skill of DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, if you're drafting a guy because he has a relationship with the coach, that, that's poor planning on your part, and I'm not putting it past the Suns. But, you know, Luka Doncic, whoever drafts him is going to have him under team control for seven to nine years. Uh, Igor Kokoskov probably is not going to be the coach of the Suns that long. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, just, just reading the tea leaves, you know, and the way things, these, these things typically go. Good point, good point. Well, let's get back to then the, uh, this, the notion of uh, what Aiden can do here. Um, so let's see here. He is a not really a traditional big man, and I suppose, I mean, his body type, who would you compare him most to right now in the NBA? Well, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone like him in the NBA. He's, he's kind of built like David Robinson. You know, he's seven feet yeah. tall. He's 260 pounds. He's ripped. And I still think he's got room to develop his body, especially once he gets in an NBA strength and conditioning program. You know, he's got a seven foot five wingspan, nine foot three standing reach. Uh, I mean, he is just a physical specimen and a tremendous athlete. I mean, he kind of moves like a ballerina, but at the same time, he's got a lot of bulldozer in him. It's He's really impressive physically. And so there's not really – I don't know that there's anyone like him. I mean, a lot of people compare him to Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is bigger, uh, thicker, and um, I don't know if he's quite as nimble as Aiton is. Uh, Aiton is – he's very unique. Huh. What about uh, any other special skills like, you know, can he shoot at all? So he actually shot 74% from the free throw line. Uh, He's shown quite a bit of mid-range touch, oftentimes settling for mid-range jumpers when he shouldn't. Um, I do believe he'll have three-point range at some point. He took like 30 at U of A. Um, So I do believe he'll stretch out the three-point line. It's almost a necessity in the modern game if you want to stay on the court, as we saw in the playoffs, not only to be able to step out and shoot threes, but also to be able to defend on the perimeter, which he's surprisingly adept at. But uh, I do believe he will develop that part of his game and be a pick-and-pop threat, as well as, you know, he's a high-level finisher on lobs. So, I mean, he could he could wind up being a really, really good big man. It does sound like that. I've seen the, the form of his jump shot actually looks really pretty good. He's got good rhythm, and it looks like, um, you know, his the release is good, right? I mean, would you agree with all that? Yeah, I think it's really smooth. He, he's got really good rhythm, as you, as you pointed out. I think his hands are great. Uh, his feet could use a little bit of work, you know. Um, I, he kind of kicks one foot out a little bit, and I don't quite like that 
kind of brings him off center. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, it works. And he actually makes that shot. So, you know, I, I've watched him live now for almost two years. You know, I've seen, I think I've seen him like a handful of times. And he's always impressed uh, against competition that he's played against. So I, I'm really excited to see what he does at the next level. For sure. And, I, and a lot of times those kind of guys are, you know, even better when they're around pros uh, compared to where they are with uh, the teammates in Arizona. That said, the pros that are on the Suns, you know, aren't like exactly the uppermost level pros in the NBA. So how is that going to work, you think, with what they have now, with guys like Devin Booker? I mean, is, uh, you know, and, and as we go, move on from there. Well, one of, so one of Aiton's big deficiencies to me that really jumps off the page is that he's not a great screen setter. He doesn't make a lot of contact, not physical. He's going to have to improve that. And I think that's where Kokoskov is really going to come into play and working with him on those sort of things. You know, the, the other parts of the big man game that are important on offense, setting screens, you know, uh, tap outs, things like that. A lot of stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but is more hustle play. And so if he can do that, I mean, him and, pick, him and uh, Devin Booker in a pick and roll could be deadly. You know, with, with Aiton as a pick and pop threat or a lob threat going to the basket, it'll open up Josh Jackson's shooting. He'll have more open looks. Not to mention a little bit of Josh Jackson, DeAndre Ayton, pick and roll. And uh, I, I even think for Dragon Bender, if they want to run the two big lineup with, with Dragon at the four and Ayton at the five, you know, Dragon shooting and perimeter passing, I mean, that could really be something. You could have a nice inside-out big man game. Fair enough. That, that does sound I – mean, hey, it's irrational exuberance time. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, and, and there should be. When you get a guy like Ayton, it definitely feels that way, like uh, it's uh, it, – um, my goodness gracious, b-ball ref, basketball reference has uh, autoplay. What is that? Um, you have to think that, you know, at the very least, they're going to win more than their 21 games, which I suppose they did on purpose. What do you think they're going to do with uh, the addition and how many win- wins they're going to get? You know, I don't, I don't know because it is hard to tell, and he is a rookie, and how many rookies actually contribute to winning? Not a ton. Um, you know, most rookies are bad, and I think he's still going to be bad defensively as a rookie, but I do think he'll come around. Um, but offensively, I think he's special, and I think he's going to be special. Um, you know, the question marks to me and whether or not he'll be able to hit what I believe is a Hall of Fame-type ceiling, uh, it's the defensive stuff, and it's the motor on the hustle plays. It's, you know, how is he going to do hitting the glass defensively? How is he going to do on those screens? You know, how is he going to do in, in that sort of thing? But, I mean, for as far as scoring the basketball, passing out of double teams, which, you know, as you know, for a big, it's so important, mm-hmm. facilitating from the elbow. Like, there are no questions about that and, and the fact that he's still got room to grow in those areas. I mean, I really do think he's got potential to be very special. And then on his short rolls, he could create stuff off the dribble? I think he could put it on the floor a little bit. But, you know, I wouldn't depend on it right now. But I do think it's something he'll develop. Again, this is where Kokoshkov comes in, you know, uh, I, I do think that this is stuff that they're going to work on. And, you know, obviously the more tools he can have in his tool bag, the better. For sure. Well, I'm, I'm really – now you got me all hyped up looking for him. I'm going to try and do a video on him tomorrow, so now i got a good start on it. Uh, anybody else, as we uh, move into the second part of our segment here, uh, that has caught your eye that maybe, you know, people aren't talking about so much? Well, I mean, you know, I hate to say, I hate to say Trey Young, but I think, I think people are sleeping on Trey Young a little bit. Um, and, and right now, I mean, he can go as high as two to the Kings because the Kings have been very good about hiding their intentions with their number two pick uh, to potentially as low as like 13. And it is just insane to me that a guy who has that much potential, you know, like we know how important scoring is and being able to create looks not only for yourself but for other people. There's a lot of comparisons between 
Trey Young and Steph Curry. And, you know, aside from being undersized, uh, you know, and obviously everyone compared the two because I, obviously it's a lazy comp because they're both light-skinned guys. <laughs> but also, you know, because of the three-point shooting. But to me, the closest area, or at least the area where they remind me the most of each other, is that Trey, much like Steph, has some special playmaking ability. And there's a good chance that Trey is actually farther along in his development as a playmaker for other people than Steph was at the same point in his, in his career. Well, you know, I'm all in. I loved what I saw from Trey Young in the middle of the season. And as I got so knee-deep in the NBA stuff, I lost track. But clearly, right, the last, you know, month or so of the college season, he became a persona non grata, and it's kind of weird to me. Well, it, so this is one of those things where you actually need to watch the games rather than look at the stats. And I think that a lot of, a lot of Twitter especially falls victim to this and, and you know, uh, including ESPN showing a highlight reel of his misses, like bad misses. Uh, Trey Young had a 37% usage and a 46.5% assist rate. Um, no other player in NCAA history has ever done that. I, it was just insane the workload he had. I, there was not another single NBA player on his roster. Um, it, it just It's not a great situation, you know, to, to kind of showcase yourself. I mean, every single look he, he produced or got, he had to produce. He only shot 19 uncontested threes all year. He actually hit 14 of those. Um, which is incredible, and that's probably not sustainable. But, you know, it does show you that he has off-ball ability that's yet to be tapped. And, and I think in the NBA, you'll get that. You know, he'll have the opportunity to hit a high-level player, a guy who is actually an NBA player, hit him with a pass, and then relocate to the corner, which, you know, you and I love what Steph Curry does because he's right. the best in the league at it. And so I, I do think that there's a whole other level of stuff that he can do where the game is going to become easier for him. He's going to get these easier looks. Fair enough. Well, I am now very excited to do that. We're going to be on live uh, during the, uh, the draft of you, me, and Adam Stanko breaking everything down. So tune into our uh, YouTube channel or, or Twitter or anywhere else, Facebook, and you'll see it there. Dave, thanks for bringing it down for us. We will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks. And don't go anywhere, sports fans. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And sports fans, we are back. As always, again, this is Coach Nick on the B-Ball Breakdown every Tuesday on SB Nation Radio. And a really interesting thing happened uh, a month or so ago when we found out that there were some burner accounts going on in Philadelphia. Uh, it's kind of a sordid story with lots of innuendo and rumor. So I needed somebody to come in here and break it down for us and make clear what exactly happened and how and where and why and what. So without any further ado, let's bring on Derek Bodner of the Athletic Philadelphia, who has had his finger on the pulse of this entire saga of the Brian Colangelo uh, interesting Twitter account fiasco, which you might not have heard about. And Brian, I mean, sorry, Derek, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. Great. Well, listen, I think people are a little bit familiar with what's happened. And obviously, Brian Colangelo is now not even with the team anymore because of it. But can you can you just start from the beginning and tell us what how this all unfolded? <laughs> yeah, so there were five Twitter accounts, which the ringer, uh, Ben Dietrich of the ringer, kind of flagged as having activity that would suggest they were tied to Sixers GM, former GM Brian Colangelo. 
And the ringer went to the Sixers with two of the five accounts. The Sixers acknowledged those two accounts and then shut down the remaining accounts, uh, even though the ringer hadn't informed them of that. And that kind of that to me was a move where it really gave the story legs, where it kind of proved that they were all connected in some fashion. And eventually the Sixers conducted their own internal investigation. The uh, law firm from New York, which I'm, I'm blanking on the name of, but they came to the conclusion that the evidence pointed to Colangelo's wife, uh, Barbara Bottini, as having run those accounts, uh, created and operated those accounts. And Barbara, his again, Colangelo's wife, admitted to that. Uh, the law firm was not able to conclude whether or not Colangelo had knowledge of the accounts. Uh, Colangelo has denied having knowledge of the accounts. But because of the specific contents of what was tweeted, stuff about Markel Fultz's injury and rehab and conflicts the team had with the trainer, stuff about Jaleel Okafor and failing a physical and that having nullified a trade, things that were very sensitive team information, because of that, the team felt that these Sixers were kind of compromised because of what had gotten out. Okay. And I think ultimately there was you know, uncertainty. Like, I mean, at one point, LeBron James is making jokes about this on the podium at the NBA Finals. There was just a whole lot of uncertainty. The, the accounts had disparaged Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and they just felt like that compromised Colangelo's ability to run a basketball team. Okay. Well, wait, now, all those are great, uh, great information. Let's go back to the very beginning here because I'm kind of curious. How did uh, the Ringer first even become aware that you know these accounts would have been out there as sort of anonymous Twitter accounts? Yeah, it's a great. They got they received an anonymous tip. Um, they, I believe they said in a story, they never even found out who the tipster was, but basically the tipster pointed them in the direction of these five ac accounts. And then the ringer then kind of conducted their own internal investigation of whether or not there was any merit to these, the, these accounts being linked. Okay. Now, do we know anything about the tipster? No, uh, they have not. I believe the internet has kind of deduced that the Twitter account was at Sixers enough which I believe followed only Ben Dietrich and Chris Ryan on Twitter. Uh, but I don't believe there has been any revelations beyond that. Okay. Well, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't there a notion that this person, or they said that they were in some sort of AI field? Yes, correct. Okay. This is, this is interesting because if that's the case, it sounds like, you know, that, that if you have that ability and that knowledge, you can, you know, probably create some sort of algorithm that could search through Twitter and find, you know, I think that they were trying to say they were able to find um, a language that was sort of similar and enough where it indicated that they were the same person writing the tweets. Is that is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it was also based off of common accounts they followed, like the accounts would follow, you know, Brian Colangelo's son, uh, Matthias, I believe. Uh, Mataya? Mataya, I believe. Anyway, regardless, follow his son's like high school coach. And this is a guy who doesn't have, you know, very many Twitter followers. It would be odd for somebody, a Sixers fan, following these accounts, much, much less five Sixers fans, to be following these accounts. So there are commonalities in who they followed. I believe a lot of them followed Mataya's um, college teammates at the University of Chicago. Again, not thing that your typical Philadelphia fan would follow. And things of that sort beyond just the language similarities. Sure. Now, before the the wife came out and actually, I guess, acknowledged that those were her accounts, or that, I guess, did she acknowledge that they were her accounts, or did she acknowledge and did she acknowledge that she was actually tweeting those, or was there some sort of parsing going on? From what I understand, and I have to go back and reread the uh, the findings from the the the, the firm, 
uh, which conducted the investigation. But I believe she acknowledged that she was tweeting under those accounts, correct? Okay, fair enough. Because, you know, it does sound a little bit like, you know, if Brian Colangelo was, you know, at, at home at, for, at, for dinner and he's complaining about, you know, Okafor just failed this damn physical, we can't trade him. You know, and then the wife hears that, you know, which is probably, you know, I, I don't think it's as top secret as if you work for the government, you're not supposed to talk to your spouse about anything. But, um, you know, then maybe she goes out and, and, and does this. Now, before we even found that out, because there was a delay, it feels like, before she even acknowledged, um, what, weren't there people out there, sleuths, uh, amateur sleuths, kind of figuring out that it was, it was his wife anyway? Yeah, so there, there were a couple, a couple of instances, um, again, tying, tying back to his son, which was kind of an indicator. But also, you can actually find out the last two digits of a, of a Twitter account's recovery phone number. Ah. And there had been some public posting of Brian Colangelo's wife's cell phone number uh, from when I think some form of a like student teacher type home uh, a high school type event okay. where they listed her phone number and they realized that three of the five Twitter accounts in question had the same last two digits on the, on the uh, Twitter recovery phone number. Okay, this is getting crazier and crazier. So, okay, because uh, in theory, if I were going to create a burner account for me, you know, and you have to use a different phone number or a different uh, email address, like in theory, I might just use my wife's information to do that. Um, what do you think? Do you think that that's what Colangelo did, or do you think that his wife honestly signed his up and has a little bit of a vindictive streak? So I think, and this is speculation, but I think looking at the one account, the Eric Jr. account, the one, the only one to remain public during this whole fiasco, that to me does read like possibly his wife, uh, like a, a disgruntled wife that kind of feels like her husband is receiving criticism that she doesn't believe is fair. Okay. There are other accounts, specifically one that was called Still Balling, uh, S underscore Bonhams, uh, which I got access to some of the tweets, and it read to me a little more like a basketball guy was tweeting about it. Now, I don't know if that is somebody close to Colangelo. I don't know if that is maybe, you know, Jerry Colangelo or Brian. I don't know. But it wouldn't shock me if there was both his wife's involvement and maybe more to that story that we don't know. Right. Or or maybe his son was doing it uh, connected somehow that way, too. Right. Correct. Okay. But either way... Uh, it does sound like what you said in the very beginning, the most damning thing about this whole thing was when I think they were confronted with two of the accounts and all five went dark, right? Obviously, um, you know, they must have talked to Brian Colangelo and he's, he must have freaked out. It was like, uh-oh. And then he must have either either turned them off or called his wife and said, hey, you got to turn these off or something, right? I mean, I think that's that's the smoking gun here, right? Yes, correct. Yep. And so either way... Um, now, out of that, there was a delay, though. They didn't sort of out and out fire him uh, right away, right? No, they um, – well, what's, what's initially interesting is, is, is the Ringer contacted them initially on May 22nd. Those remaining accounts were shut down on May 22nd. But apparently the Sixers' ownership group didn't know about it until May 29th when, this, when the story dropped. So there was a miscommunication in the chain of command there. Somebody – you know, either didn't take the threats credibly or didn't escalate it up the food chain. So they got a late jump on that to begin with. And then they, they hired this law firm, uh, which was like Paul West, whatever, it doesn't, uh, Paul Weiss uh, law firm okay. to go do the investigation. And they waited a solid week for that investigation to conduct before they took any action. Fair enough. And then the action was pretty swift. Now, let me ask you this. Does Brian Colangelo get fired if LeBron James is not a free agent this summer? 
You know, I think it. Uh, I think a lot of that depends on how the Sixers players internally reacted. Like if Joel Embiid, he the, the night this story dropped, Embiid went on Twitter and basically added one of the burner accounts that said like Sam Hinkie was smarter than you, and like he's making jokes about this on Twitter. And I think if that relationship is is going to be tough to mend, and I do think a lot of the players took that, you know, I took exception to some of the things that were tweeted. I mean, they, they, these were pretty inflammatory statements about Embiid, about Mark L. Fultz, about a bunch of the Sixers' core players. If he can't repair those relationships, the outcome might be the same. If if maybe the, re- the releasing of the medical information, that might make, let's say, pursuing Kawhi Leonard more difficult. That might have been enough to do it. I think ultimately it could have happened even if LeBron James wasn't making jokes about it and wasn't on Twitter. Or, or, and, and, and wasn't um, a free yeah. agent. Yeah, I mean, because obviously what, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, obviously they want him to go to Philly, I imagine, and they can't afford to have anything hanging over their heads at all. Whereas, although it's kind of a moot point because it seems like he's a free agent almost after every year these days. So uh, it, it wouldn't have mattered. But, and I agree. I think that it's a, it's a pretty damaging thing. I think it's a damaging thing to, their, to the marriage, um, I, I suppose, because I'd have to imagine that, um, you know, chances are in this situation, if the wife was tweeting, um, that he probably simply didn't know about it, obviously, right? Because if he did, he would have had her delete those tweets, right? He would have been freaking out at her way early on this thing, and it wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to grab hold. Yeah, you would, you would think he wouldn't have known about it because, like you said, this is too – the risk-reward of this was way not right. in his favor. And I'm sure his wife just never assumed anyone would ever put all this together. Um, but he, I would I would also assume that Brian would be smarter and have that shut down pretty quickly. I agree with that. Right. So so I'm willing to agree. It does sound reasonable that um, you know he he didn't know about it. But again, the only other way to prove that I suppose is when the call goes to the Sixers and they ask him about these five accounts, and then they the, the Sixers insist that they only asked Brian Clangelo about this. I suppose he must have called his wife and go, hey, like, do you know anything about this? Like, right? That would have been what would have happened. And she would have been like, uh-oh, and then, and then cancel them. And then in which case, you know, I don't know if you're married, but I'm married. And I certainly, it, I don't know what would happen into a relationship like that, um, having basically lost your job for, for something that was, you know, not smart. Lost his job may, may cost him his career. And look, maybe he comes back and he can be a consultant. Maybe he can be an assistant GM. I don't know. But it's hard. And, you know, News stories break and and we move on pretty quickly. So maybe in in three years this is all blown over. But certainly right now at least has the chance to cost him his career. Yeah, there might be a a cold conversation or two between them. Sure, I want to remind everybody that Marv Albert uh, in the nineties uh, got into some pretty hot water with some crazy stuff, and uh, you know, yeah, I think it was three years, and then he was right back where he started. So so you never know, and that was probably a little bit more worse and certainly more sorted. So. Um, interesting stuff. Now, the last piece of this puzzle, as we uh, start to wrap up, is uh, is the notion of you know who was this person who so clearly seemed to understand what was going on in, in, in AI. And I know that there's probably like a, lot, a lot of conspiracy theories, but certainly there's one finger that could be pointed to somebody that sort of you know was around the Sixers for a while, who is now in the, the um, AI realm. Uh, do you know of whom I speak? Yeah, I like. I certainly understand the implication there. Um, I think what I'll say is that there's a lot of people geared around Twitter data and mining that data and making use of that data, most, mostly for marketing reasons. But I mean, there's a lot of people I think who would have. I th- basically, I think the skill set required to do what was done is wider than I think we give it credit for, and I think it. I, I think the possible outcomes could be much much wider. 
Sure. And, you know, Sam Hinkie, that's what we're thinking. Anyway, so, right, of course. <laughs> Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate breaking this up down. Really fascinating story. Uh, who knows? Maybe some more information will come out of it, but uh, definitely we'll check back in with you to find out more and about more of the Sixers going on in the summer. So don't go anywhere, sports fans. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. So there you have it, sports fans. Another show in the books, in your ears, in your brain. Another great show. Doug Smith broke down what's going on in Detroit and what that means with Dwayne Casey taking over after getting summarily fired by the Raptors after winning the Coach of the Year award. Which, by the way, seems to be a bit of a kiss of death these days because quite a few of the Coach of the Year award winners uh, get fired pretty quickly. This one might have been a little bit quicker than normal, but again, they got swept. They didn't look that well prepared in the playoffs, and they didn't maintain their new playing style that they had uh, through the regular season. They didn't maintain that in the playoffs against the Cavaliers, uh, and then also were somehow allowed to let their mental uh strength disappear in that series. It was very frustrating to watch, and it only went four games. So we'll have to find out what happens in Detroit. Derek Bodner broke down the saga that's, that went on in Philadelphia. I guess it's over now, sort of, but there's probably going to be a little bit more information coming out about Brian Colangelo and his burner accounts and probably the wife's burner accounts. And I think that the most reasonable explanation there is, yes, I think his wife probably established him. Maybe his son had one of them. I don't know. Although it does seem like one other person, if it wasn't Colangelo himself, had control over the other three accounts. They got all shut down. So uh, I don't know how that works. I don't know how their relationship keeps working when his career could very well be over now from this. And he's not necessarily in the age range where he can just sort of start over in a new career necessarily, but we'll see. Um, and we had Dave DeFore on to talk more about the NBA. Let's look forward for a bit because in a couple days we're going to have the NBA draft and there's going to be a live show on YouTube and on Periscope and on Facebook on all of our B-Ball Breakdown channels as we go over the draft picks live in real time. And I'll have Adam Stanko, who is an expert of an expert on all the college players, and then Dave DeFore will join me as well. So we'll have the information you're going to want to have during the draft about who's getting picked and how they fit. I'm looking really forward to that. It should be a great show. It will be a great show. And then we have free agency coming up. we got to figure out where LeBron's going, and I have a great video coming up about that. And don't miss a video I dropped today about LeBron's uh, injured hand in the finals and whether or not it affected him. Uh, huge response so far about it. So you should get in there and get in the comments and let us know what you thought as well because, as I always tell everybody here at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You win. <laughs> 